All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. So, so good to have you with us. I'm really stoked that you're here to check out this uh, episode of Real Live Talk, and I really just appreciate you guys. I'm so excited about the conversation that we're about to have. I have two amazing guests with me today. I'll tell you about them in just a moment, but um, I want to just let you know uh, where you're seeing this podcast. If you're watching this live or catching the rebroadcast on Facebook, it's coming from a Facebook page that's still relatively on the new side it's uh, the real life talk facebook page kind of like centralized everything for the time being to that one place i was going live on a bunch of different platforms and i uh, just felt like i wanted to kind of centralize everything a little bit more and i feel like it's gonna it's helping me hopefully it's helping me hopefully it's coming across uh to put out some more meaningful content to you guys and be a little bit more focused on the way that i'm doing that so if you have not yet liked or followed the facebook page it's uh real live talk podcast is the name of the facebook page so check it out follow and uh if you happen to be catching this on one of the podcast platforms like spotify apple or wherever you get your podcasts if the content blesses you or uh, encourages you today or challenges you or something like that if you would consider uh, subscribing sharing or leaving a review that would be Absolutely amazing. I really, really appreciate you guys. And I'm so excited for the conversation that I'm going to have today uh, with my guests, uh, Tommy Wilkerson and Lucas Pulley, who are the executive directors of the Underground Network. Together, they are equipping, serving and stewarding an experimental community of more than 100 micro churches in the Tampa Bay area and serving dozens of similar decentralized and empowering movements around the world. So I'm going to go ahead and bring my... Uh, my brand new, how am I, I just did that totally wrong no there we go all right hey yo <laughs> there we go we're all on the screen now uh yeah my my uh my brand new friends who i just met uh 10 minutes ago we've gone way back we go way back <laughs> to one o'clock <laughs> man yeah but i feel like i know you guys already it's, it's yeah it's cool we bonded over some audio issues and uh got them worked out pretty quickly and I'm just stoked that you guys are here. I had the privilege of sitting down a while back with um, Brian uh, Sanders, who uh, connected me with you guys. He was on the podcast and I was asking some questions about kind of like the inner workings of the underground mm -hmm. and some day to day stuff. And he was like, I feel like I could you know, serve you better by connecting you with the guys that are actually running it these days. And so he put me in contact with you guys and uh, we just really appreciate you for your time today. So, yeah, it's an honor. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I, <laughs> there's so many things that like I want to get into. I mean, I, I, I just kind of to start off in a basic place. Um, if you would uh, just talk, and and we can, you know, you could both jump in on this, or or if one of you wants to to do it, however you guys want to do this. But um, what would you say, just kind of. Uh, even before we get into the actual underground network itself, what is kind of the philosophy of microchurch? Like, what is microchurch? What is it all about? And uh, how does that kind of work for you in your mind? And then I'm also curious to know what kind of drew you uh, both personally to this model and to partner up with the underground. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Big questions. Yeah, big questions. Big questions. Lucas, you want to go first? Yeah, uh, sure. Are we, are, um, we jump, are we jumping into serious stuff too fast? <laughs> no, 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 no. I love it. I love it. There's no other way to do it with us. Uh, so, yeah. So, microchurch for us, we, we, um, I think essentially, our community has been convicted to, for many years now. You know, it's <clears throat> approaching 20 years, to um, 
recapture a New Testament imagination for the church and for church planting. Um, and so, and, and not just because it's a more effective way to be the church in a post-Christian culture. That, so there are people who are coming to the place of doing microchurch, but it's more from like a strategic or pragmatic place. Like the traditional church isn't working, and so let's find something that works. That's, right, I'm, I'm not. Right. I'm not saying that's like a bad way to come to that, but for us, it was has always actually been like a, a a matter of theological discernment of like what is the church actually, and mm. um and when we when we as like Americans in twenty twenty in twenty in the twenty twenties think of the word church, what we think of in our mind is that what the New Testament thought of is that what Jesus thought of like that's the imagination question. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was. It was really like a a a, a time of theological discernment uh, for that original community, um, the the kind of founding community of the underground, to relearn what it is to be the church. So we they they kind of came down to, and we've held a legacy of an ecclesial minimum, which is worship, community, and mission being the the basic essentials of what it means to be the church uh, in the world. And what that means is uh, worship is in. Romans 12 worship, surrender your life to Jesus worship, not banging on a guitar worship or something like mm. that. It's like surrender all things of our lives and the life of our community to the leadership and lordship of Jesus. And community being a matter of like intentional spiritual family, not see each other once a week and never interact again. And uh, mission being to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God to the lost and the poor. So wherever there's an intentional community of people surrendered to the leadership of Jesus, pursuing some piece of the mission of God in the world, we would say that's the church. Um, and so it, you can actually have things that spring up that look much more similar to like Acts 16 church in Philippi, when you've got um, uh, Lydia, the dealer in purple, purple hosting at her house, a jailer and um, a woman, a, a, a teenage girl who was delivered from a demon and the jailer's whole house. And suddenly, Paul, you know, Paul and Barnum is being like, yep, church. <laughs> and then off you go. Um, so, you know, uh, for our network that it, it creates a minimum definition of the church that actually cr uh, creates, it, it makes room for a lot of creativity. So, Every microchurch in the Tampa underground actually looks very different, um, but they all are living in the rhythm of worship, community, mission. But it, they all have different rhythms and look very different and are reaching different people and um, gathering different ways. Um, I personally was drawn, and I'll let uh, Tommy um, uh, supplement that and share from his own story, but I was personally drawn to it you know, 12, 14 years ago in, when I was in uh, campus ministry you know we were i was at a state school up in illinois and we were planting bible studies in dorm rooms and trying to like share jesus with uh, college students and we were starting to do jail ministries in town and single moms ministries and uh, soup dinner dinner church kind of stuff with the poorest in our city mm. and we just and that little hodgepodge ragamuffin community of college students that was kind of like starting all these ministries and leading all this we just felt like this makes sense when we study acts like this what we're the the life that we're living together and the life we're pursuing together like we have a strong conviction that this is church and when we go on sunday morning and we're just asked to sit and watch a concert and listen to a monologue and give money. And that's really like the apex of our involvement. That does not seem to make sense. 
to us. Um, mm. And that's and, and so that's what living that experience is what drew me into the concept of like microchurch and decentralized network and priesthood of all believers and calling. Um, and it, it's a much longer journey of how I connected to the underground and have been doing this uh, part of the underground. But that that was the origin story for me. Wow. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing. That's super helpful. Uh, Tommy, do you have uh, something to add on that from your yeah. perspective? Yeah, I was just going to kind of what Lucas had already said. I was just going to chime in on that, that really for us, it was a matter of wanting to be the church, trying to figure out like, what is the church? And it's not necessarily that, you know, even in the, at least my understanding of the formation and the founding of the underground is that, you know, as they were trying to figure out what do we call these communities, you know, there would have been a discussion and an argument to be made that, well, no, what we were after is just the church. It just is the church. Can we just call it that? Um, but of course, because, you know, you have so many uh, varying definitions and understandings, all the things that get baked into that word church, it's like, okay, well, maybe we have to add something to it to, to help people kind of have a fresh line of thinking when they're talking about imagining the church. Uh, and so micro churches became maybe the way that we, we landed on that term. But yeah, once again, it wasn't a matter of strategy, uh, but maybe it was a question of, you know, is this something that's the, the phenomenologically true of the church that like the church? Yes, we talk about like sizes of churches and mega churches sometimes can be uh, this thing that people aspire to, but maybe the church uh, around the world, and maybe usually it's something that's small. And if you're talking about life on life, if you're talking about, uh, you know, going deep with one another, called together for a purpose for something, uh, maybe that happens on a small level. And really that's like the church at its best and its finest. Uh, not to say there's anything wrong with mega churches or um, anything of that nature, but even that it's like, how do those bigger churches understand and keep together as a community and go deep with one another well they need something like micro churches to exist uh in order for that to be true and so yeah i, I would say in terms of you know our communities the centerpiece of all of these so that's that's like the ecclesial minimum that worship community that mission piece all those are important but the centerpiece of all of our micro churches is calling and uh, micro churches being first and foremost birthed in the heart of god from the heart of god so uh, is that these microchurches exist for a purpose outside of themselves. So it's not just like for us, but, you know, we, if we understand that that term, uh, ecclesia is about, uh, you know, blessing a broader community, like a, a group of people sent out, called together for a purpose to bless the broader community. Well, then what's the purpose for which they exist, right? So, mm. uh, Every microchurch has to define that for themselves. They have to well, listen to Jesus and figure out, okay, who is it that we exist on behalf of? Uh, so is that single moms? Is that uh, women in prison? Is that men in addiction? Is that college students at the University of you know, Phoenix or something like that? Um, and so everyone has to, has to figure that out. They have to wrestle with God, hear from God, their orders to be the church in the world. Um, and and to do their part in his story so yeah similar to lucas uh my exposure to microchurches came as a college student at the university of tampa uh, i was a part of a, a college ministry university christian fellowship uh and our community was a microchurch of the underground so you know for better for worse a lot of my uh discipleship and really my uh 
I guess, introduction to Jesus came through InterVarsity in the underground. Um, and so when the underground is kind of your first real church experience, <laughs> it kind of destroys you for everything else after. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just think as I've watched these uh, missionaries journey and do what they do and having the personal experience of being part of these small, uh, really sort of humble, almost, I don't know, ordinary, not necessarily extraordinary communities. Uh, but there's a way that you encounter God, you meet God in them. There's a way that you feel like something is happening in the midst of them. I just feel like it's, yeah, no matter what I do for the rest of my life, uh, microchurches and these small communities and networks like this will always be a part of it in some way, shape or form. And so mm. that's uh, maybe my my contribution. <clears throat> No, that's awesome. You know, I I think that so you you've uh, you you were both mentioning the basically three basic elements, and I I remember talking with Brian uh, Sanders about this about um, is it worship, community, and mission, mm -hmm. right? And and uh, and and that those are the things that if we have those at place in the midst of us, then you know there's a lot of other things that get added of course, into church, like, oh, well, we need a building. Well, do you need a building? You know, mm -hmm. can you be the church without having a building? Can you be the church without having, you know, this many people? Can you be the church without having, you know, ushers? <laughs> can you be the church? You know, all these different things. And so I think what I think what a lot of, um, you know, larger churches and, you know, mid-sized churches and whatever, traditional, the traditional, you know, church concept, I think what a lot, the way that a lot of people try to maintain that sort of community, atmosphere is by instituting things like community groups and small groups and cell groups and things like that. And I've seen contexts where that works really, really well. But I think by and large, what I've just personally seen and experienced is that they don't really overall work that well. They might work well for the people that are in them. But as far as like the percentage of the church that's actually participating in those groups that are going on where kind of like a deeper sense of community gets to take place. It's usually a, a very small percentage of the church that's actually engaging in those community groups. Cause I think a lot of people look at church as the, you know, my requirement for the week or my requirement to God. I, you know, I go once a week and like, that's kind of all that I can do or all that I'm willing to do. And so that sort of deeper community doesn't take place. And, um, Lucas, I think you mentioned, um, you know, something about, you know, not having anything in particular against uh, a, like a mega church, for example. But, you know, and, and I think that for, for me, I have nothing against a church that, you know, grows and continues to grow and all of that. My my problem it has always been and one of the reasons why I'm just so fascinated to hear your story and talk with you guys today is I think that we do. It's a problem when we grow and we we, we grow to the point that now we don't know how to maintain that same level of community, that same level of intimacy and involvement, the same level of, of inviting people to serve the community, to serve in the church and to have that mission mindset and focus when we begin to lose that because we're growing beyond the scope of where we can, you know, reasonably manage that or maintain that, then I think we get into a problem. So, you know, my, my thing has always been, okay, and this is something that we talk about as pastors uh, regularly, is as we grow, how do we maintain that? How do we maintain that atmosphere where we're open and accessible to people? How do we maintain the atmosphere where we continue to have community, where people have the opportunity to, you know, be heard and to be, you know, connected 
in in more deep and, and meaningful ways. And so anyway, it's it's all it's all those reasons and more why I, I I'm fascinated by what you do. I love what you do. And um, and I just think it's great. Would you do something for me? Uh, would one yeah. of you um, kind of uh, explain what decentralized means? This is for anyone who might not know what that term means. Because we we mentioned that this is a essentially a decentralized um, structure, a decentralized church community um, that you're serving different decentralized uh, communities of micro churches in different parts of the world and stuff like that. And so, yeah. for anyone who might not know what that means, what does that what does that mean, and what does that look like? Yeah, it's an imperfect way to say it, but a lot of times the way I say it is in a centralized entity or a centralized structure. The small exists to serve the big. And in a decentralized entity, the big exists to serve the small. Yeah. So um, it's much more complex than that. That's not a perfect way to say it, but I think it's it's one of the better ways that I've learned to say it succinctly and simply <laughs> is that um, uh, the in a decentralized network, the money and the budgets and the facilities and the staffing, these are big concepts, right? The facilities, the staffing, the programs, um, these would be considered the big, right? They're, uh, um, yeah. These things are designed entirely to equip and serve and come underneath the priesthood of all believers and the citywide church um, happening all over the place. In a centralized entity, um, uh, essentially, then this is what a lot of small group structures end up being, or or even like missional communities. It just depends. People use words all the time. You just don't, never even know what they mean anymore. But um, like, there's a lot of those entities where the point, the purpose of the small groups or the missional communities is to find it to do one of two things: to find new people to bring to the big thing. But if they never, if you never bring them to the big thing. If they never add attendance to the big thing or start contributing money to the infrastructure, it, then it wasn't worth doing. So it's it's the the targets, the metrics are all in the big. It's in the center. It's in the center. And the the small things that we commission often validate they they're only valuable to the extent that they serve and grow the big, the center. So sometimes we commission those small groups or missional communities with the explicit purpose to grow the big. Or they exist to close the back door of the big. That's a, that, what you're sort of alluding to is like the only reason we started small groups is because people are showing up at the weekly Sunday thing and they're not finding friends. And then they end up leaving because they never found friends. Let's start a small group lead, uh, network so that people can find friends and be in community so that we don't lose them out the back door of the big. You know, so that's centralized. There's a center of power and resources and everything, every person and every every smaller thing exists to serve it and lift it up and grow it. Decentralized, this, the big thing, the central thing, the resources, the power, the decision-making, the facilities, the contracts is almost hidden. It's almost like underneath because it's trying to diffuse itself as servants to the small. Well, that was really good. That was really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, really helpful. Um, and so what does so what what does it look like? So in the in the Tampa area, so you have the 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 Tampa underground, and it's this community of um, uh, hundred 
plus more more than more than a hundred um, micro churches, right? And so, what does what does it actually look like in day to day life? So let's just say let's say somebody wants to, you know, I'm I, I find out who you guys are and what you're doing, and I say, you know what, like I want to open up my house and I want to start a, I want to start a, a micro church, you know, community in my home or you know, at the rec center in my apartment complex or, you know, whatever it is. Um, how does that, how does that work? How does that person actually kind of go ahead and, and get started? And how, how does the ball kind of start to roll there? What, what do you guys, what goes into that as far as, um, is there where you guys can, do people just kind of say I'm, I'm doing this or is there some kind of system in place where you guys say, okay, well, let's, um, let's talk about what you need to get started. Like how, how does it work just in daily life? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, it happens in a variety of ways. And Lucas, you're more than welcome to chime in and cover anything that I miss. I mean, some people are just kind of, uh, I don't know, motley and they just start stuff and they don't really look mm. for approval or, you know, accolades. They just go off and do it and they just find themselves, you know, running this community and we have to kind of chase them down and say, hey, this sounds like something that's really awesome. Do you want to be a part of the underground? Do you want any services or anything that could kind of help you uh, along the way? And sometimes they say yes. Sometimes there's a little bit more coaxing involved. Um, but, you know, generally, I mean, to kind of your example, your point, uh, I mean, I've seen it happen where, you know, somebody has, they feel the desire to start something. They feel called to a certain community. Uh, and, and you know, always the the mandate is to, okay, yeah, go do that thing. We, if you have heard from Jesus, if you feel like Jesus is calling you to do something, then you don't really need human intermediaries to tell you whether or not you can or can't do something. So even the idea that like we empower people or we give the thumbs up is very weird because if Jesus told you to do it, well, then who the heck are we? Like we're nobody. If Jesus told you to do it, go do it. And uh, mm. to the extent that we can help you serve you, we'd love to be a part of that. Uh, but yeah, you don't need us. And so sometimes people will apply to be a microchurch with the underground. So there is an application process uh, that really just kind of looks at those three requirements that we have around being the church. Is there worship? Is there community? Is there mission? Like, even if it's something that's brand new, like, and you haven't entirely started yet, but you have a sense that you want to start something, uh, it's just kind of a, a discerning tool of how do you plan on actually living those things out? So you might not have uh, a shred of evidence that a thing will actually work and take off, but you feel called to do something. Uh, and so our team will see that and say, hey, man, uh, if we see worship community mission, um, we will give you everything we have to help you uh, get off the ground. So uh, depending on the nature of the thing that you're trying to start, uh, sometimes that means you need uh, space to to meet or you need an office space to print stuff and to cut out things because you're tired of running out of printer ink at your home printer. And it would just be great if you just had an industrial sized printer that could just print flyers for you and you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, you get tired of using scissors to cut out things and you just would love a giant paper cutter. We have that for you. That's fine. Uh, depending on what you got going on, it might be that you know, you want to receive donations for this homeless feed that you're doing, but you don't want to go through the process of becoming a 501c3 in order to receive donations because that mm. means board, that means bylaws, structure, and that's it's just a you just wanted to give PB and J's to the homeless. Like, do we have to go through right. all this? 
Uh, and so our finance department says, okay, well, you can use our 501c3. We'll intake your donations. We'll watch that for you and help you manage some of that stuff. Uh, maybe you're trying to come up with a flyer or you're trying to design a website and you don't want to take the time to learn InDesign and Photoshop and Canva or whatever, our media team will help you do that. And so that's kind of some of the, the services that we offer to people uh, to help them kind of get started and, and get off the ground and operate. Uh, and so sometimes it happens that way where people have applied and we'll say, sure, and here's the resources that we have to do it. Uh, and other times people just start stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, to the extent that we can be helpful and be a part of that, awesome. Uh, and Lucas, mm -hmm. I know I just missed like a whole side of things. My brain <laughs> just completely shut off in the middle of my own answer. And so I'll let you uh, <laughs> pick up where I left off. No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's some micro churches who get there. They um, the micro church leaders are already internal to the community, and they've been a part of a micro church for a long time, right. and right. they've been through like basic discipleship and leadership development, and they've gone maybe gone through a calling lab, and they've discovered their calling, and then it kind of gets handed off to us, and that's that's the point where we jump in and we say, okay, let's help you surround you with the services that Tommy's mentioning, take what you need, um, maybe put you, get you a part of a little start something cohort with other leaders who are trying to get something off the ground. And you're kind of in that first phase together um, for support and accountability and coaching. Honestly, what a lot of these people need, they don't need, they don't need finance help. They don't need media help to get something started. They just need permission and they need permission from like an apostolic leader who has just an ounce of spiritual authority in their life, just to sit across from coffee and look them in the eye and say, you should do this. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. This yeah. is totally worth doing. If, if you are convinced Jesus is asking you to do it, you have everything you need right now to go do it. You should do it. Yes. Go do it. And I'll help. If you need help, we'll help. Um, so there's internal multiple, like multi microchurch multiplication, and then there's external, what we call adoptions. It's 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 people around the city who are who are already doing something that to us looks like microchurch, and um, they de they just don't feel supported or they feel alone or uh, they need specific help and they know that we offer it, and so they reach mm. out to us and and want to. They already have a pre-existing thing, and they want to like affiliate that with this network of crazy wild missionaries, you know. Um, and uh, but both of those avenues go through the same thing. It's a it's a front end application is not the right word, but it's 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 like a little type form online. And it's just this way of us helping them through a series of questions, clarify how does this thing currently or aspire to have worship? How does it you know, how does it have mission? How does it have what is there a team? How does it have community? Um, how did it start? What's its current status? If you were part of the network, how do you need help? It's just this like starter survey. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kicks the ball rolling, right? <laughs> it gets it in our hands. It gets it in the hands of the centralized entity, the nonprofit known as the underground and the staff team that steward the, all those services that Tommy just mentioned. And we all look at it and say, is this a microchurch? Is this person kind of family with our values? Are they like opting into our values? Um, and if it is, if, it, if they're kind of like opting into what it means to be underground and yeah. they are aspiring to or currently lead a thing that we think is microchurch, we got to help them. And that's when we reach out and 
and start and start the process of like, what do you need? Let's work with you. Uh, let's get it going. And, um, you know, uh, some people have been leading microchurches for a year, six months, two years. And we've got folks in the community that have been leading microchurches for 10 years, 15 years. Um, you know, you, you personally lead a microchurch. Is that correct, Lucas? Yeah. We're Tommy and I, best kept secret in the world. Tommy and I lead the same microchurch. Oh, <laughs> sweet. A, yeah. We, Tommy and I are neighbors. We live in the same neighborhood. Um, I call him my best friend. I'm not sure if he reciprocates. We're gonna. We're still working on that. Um, wow! Way to, <laughs> all the pressure is live. <laughs> um, this friend, yeah. That's, come on, man. So we uh, we're co co executive directors or neighbors, and we lead a little uh, house church together in the neighborhood. It is a yeah. It's it's what we internally know as an incubator microchurch. I don't know if if okay. uh, Brian talked to you at all about that, but um, no, man. There's generally two types of microchurches there, and and if you just look across the network at all of them, they all fall into one of two I'm types. Gonna, I'm gonna guess. Can I guess what it Go is? Go for it. Go for it. Is it where you are kind of being somewhat intentional about raising up people that are gonna start other microchurches? That is an incubator. And and I... and then the other type. <laughs> that wrong. is a type. You nailed it. Okay. You nailed it. <laughs> The other type is called a mission-specific microchurch. So mission-specific mm. microchurches gather around like a specific that. people group or cause that they all feel called to. You cannot join that microchurch if you don't feel called to that people group or cause. Um, mm. So those are mission-specific microchurches like Urban Fellowship is a microchurch that's that's trying to do work with uh, gang youth up in, in a specific geographic area of Tampa. Um there's Mom Africana that works with um, black girls in middle and high school. There's Timothy Initiative that works with men coming out of addiction. There's um, there okay. was a, there was a microchurch called Business's Mission um, that was working with like major kind of venture capital uh, businessmen in downtown and talking about like how to actually be missionaries with both in their work and around their the people that they work with. That's awesome. Um, so those are like mission specific. Then there's incubators, which are microchurches that gather not around a shared commitment to a people group or a cause, but they're gathering around a, accountability to missionary life itself and, and a mm. common set of values. So that's what ours is. Ours is like a convening of a bunch of uh, missional people, activated people, but we're not all reaching the same place. And um, But we're holding together. It's like an encouraging, equipping, supportive space. With the idea that as these people are planting the gospel and planting themselves among the soil, uh, that there might be new microchurches that emerge where they are. But we're not going to rush that, and um, it's honestly, that's God's stuff. That's not our stuff. We, we plant the gospel. God raises a church. And so w when we're in that interim time, when we're functioning as missionaries, but we don't yet have a community— in that in that missional frontier we still need community with other believers so that's why incubators exist um mm. so tommy and i help lead and our wives um we all kind of help lead together tommy and i are the worst leaders in the in the whole mic church to be honest <laughs> i mean if we just tell you our wives are uh, they're 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 the ones crushing it man so um but we all lead together in incubator microchurch and um you know, Tommy and his wife, uh, I, my, me and my wife, we do neighborhood ministry. I, I run like a little handyman service for the neighborhood, and that's the way that I kind of get incarnationally engaged with the neighbors. Um, Tommy and his wife are very incarnationally engaged with a CrossFit gym. 
and uh, feel very called to it. And Tommy has started like a little faith and fitness Bible study with the CrossFit uh, folks. There's another couple in the neighborhood that um, does uh, campus ministry at the University of South Florida. There's another couple in the microchurch that does board gamer ministry, if you can imagine Come it, on. man. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a people group. That is a, it is yeah, a people man. group, man. So, uh, it's so they, cool. they, they do like board gamer nights every other Friday um, and just kind of have like open, open fellowship and always kind of trying to like look for opportunities for spiritual conversation and people of peace. That's so cool. Um, and then we have a couple of other women that are a part of our community that do workplace ministry. Um, uh, so I feel very committed to their workplaces. So we're all, we're all doing different things. We're engaged in different places, but when we convene with one another, we're sort of doing peer to peer coaching and support and like checking in with each other of like how, how life and ministry is going, finding opportunities when they exist to support each other in ministry. Like um, um, we're not assuming that that's what we all should do all the time, but like when there are situations, when we can, we want to support each other. Um, and more than anything, just like have a community and enjoy each other and, uh, do peer to peer, like, like care about one another's holiness and marriages and parenting. And, you know, my kids need a village. I'm, I'm not enough to raise them. So, um, that's awesome, man. I, you know, the, I was aware or I'm aware of the, the Timothy initiative, but I didn't realize that they are a, uh, micro church as, as part of, uh, this community there. Um, I didn't, I, I never, you know, made that connection. That's really, really cool. And that actually, um, it helps me in my mind just trying to get a picture of what this looks like and how this, this kind of works and operates. And when you were talking there, uh, Lucas about the different, you know, just giving an example of some of those different expressions of of church in terms of, you know, the missional community. And, you know, we we get together because we're passionate about this. We, you know, we get together because we have a heart to reach these people or we have a heart for for this or this is something that we're that we're interested in. Um, what would you say is or if you want to, you know, you mentioned some things that are just incredible there. And I'm just thinking in my mind, like, uh, what are some of the the most creative or just unique church expressions that you guys uh, have seen? Um, Tommy can mention some too. Um, I always, the first one I always think of that's like wild and crazy is Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Andy Corson, Andy Corson was leading that. Um, But it's, he, he was leading, technically his microchurch was called Bible at the bar. And he, he was a sales, he, he worked okay. as a sales rep for a, a Harley Davidson bike shop. And there was a bar attached to that deal bike, uh, Harley Davidson dealership. And he was start, he started out leading a, leading like a little microchurch, a little uh, Bible study microchurch in that bar at the Harley Davidson shop that he was working at. And, um, eventually he just got connected to a bunch of people who played D and D dungeons and dragons. And started like playing dungeons and dragons with these guys as like an outreach and um, he started again. I, I barely understand this game, so I'm gonna get all this wrong. I don't even. I don't think I totally understand what this is. <laughs> but he started. Um, they started playing this regular uh, Dungeons and Dragons game with all these all these like non-believers, and he decided to take the position of like the narrator, like the person who's like controlling the. You know, Grandmaster is that what it's called, or I don't know what it is. But um, the only reason I know anything about this is from Stranger Things. 
Oh, so it's like they play this game and there's like yes, the one right. kid is, you yes. know, is kind there's of like the person. Yes, that's there's one like at the head of the table that's like like telling what what's the what the characters are facing next and they've got to make hard decisions and stuff. So so yeah. he's the one kind of controlling the storyline that everybody's kind of like role playing and going through the story together. And he started intentionally designing uh, 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 storylines that their their campaign, their group of their group of characters would run into very gospel rich decisions where a character would have That's to like crazy. a character would have to like use their resources for themselves for their own benefit or use it in a way that actually is harmful for them but benefits the whole campaign benefits the whole group um let, forcing them into situations where somebody has to let their character die in order to save the group um <laughs> or you can save yourself and the whole campaign is at risk and it's it, he just leading them into these like really gospel rich uh decisions as a group and then afterward the ability to have spiritual conversations and to just bring up jesus is so easy and just hearing about that microchurch first of all when that when that comes across our desk as like a microchurch idea, we're we're like, no, that's not happening. We're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, it's a bad idea. It's not going to work. It's a terrible. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's it's not going to work at all. Um, and not and almost all the time, the ones that come across our desk that we have that reaction to, they always work. Wow, they're like they're very wow. spiritually fruitful. And part of the reason is because that that leader Andy, he's making decisions as an in, like as an indigenous missionary among a people group. He's able to make contextual decisions around what to do and how to do it that we would never even begin to think about. I I mean, um, you know, D, 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 DMM crowds and and I don't know seminaries and that kind of stuff. They would have told Andy. Go in there, just be a participant in the game. Don't try to take over the game and just play the game. And then after try to build trust and then afterward, ask them if they want to study Romans or something like that. Like they, and it just would not right. have worked. It wouldn't have connected the way, but that the way it, that, that he did, was yeah. able, yeah, the way he's able to like make wise, like really wise contextual missionary decisions that we would have never thought of. Hmm. Um, I think it's such a rich, not only is it the one of the weirdest micro churches I've seen in the last three or four years, but it's a really great example of why wow. decentralization matters. You have to decentralize the decision-making and the responsibility for that decision-making and the ownership for that decision-making down to the called missionary. We hmm. should not be making those decisions for them because we're not qualified to. Yeah. They are. Um, so I think it's a, it, not only is it a, a really weird one, but it's got so much, so much rich wisdom in it. Um, <laughs> Tommy, I don't know which one you're thinking That's of right amazing. now. I've, I have, I have like 15 in my head. I'm wondering which one you're going to pick. <laughs> right. Right. That's <laughs> the, I'm like, man, I, yeah. Let's talk about unique microchurches. I think it's, it's so interesting because to me, it's not even just unique microchurches themselves, but it's also the unique leaders that we have. Yeah. That, yeah. That's that, true. That kind of, I don't know, spearhead those things. And so, uh, of course, you know, anytime I think of wild microchurch ideas, of course, you come back to Hula for Happiness, yes, uh, yeah, which was like a group that was a part of our network a while back. And it was like literally these two women who were just like, we want a hula hoop for Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> That's another uh, one where we're like, are we really going to say yes to this? I don't think we should say yes to it. <laughs> But I think that's kind of the fascinating thing about, you know, the underground is that we bias towards yes. Yeah. And we put 
things in place, mm. not just to like to protect us from microchurches. It's really so that the microchurches are protected from us. Like if it were up to us, we'd say, mm, nope, hard pass. Listen again yeah. to the voice of Jesus. Yeah. Find something else. But, you know, that group, I mean, they have done some incredible work, not just in Tampa, but around the world, like seeing hundreds of kids, you know, come to Jesus, have seen girls rescued from brothels, have seen mm -hmm. people just discipled uh, through the work yeah. of this hula hoop ministry. That's yeah. just like yeah. wild. That's Never incredible. would consider it. Um, <laughs> and so that's a, that's an example that comes to mind of a crazy microchurch and maybe to a certain extent, the leader uh, with that too. But you know, I always come back to, uh, you know, just this one of our leaders in our community, Stacy Hester, she leads a group called Solo Moms. Uh, and I just feel like every person has to anybody who's like a missionary or church leader has to wrestle with Stacy Hester, like Stacy mm -hmm. Hester, uh, for example, you know, the other day, this is a while back, but I remember at one point, so back when we were on Zoom, because COVID, uh, right. We just saw this thing like go past her shoulders on a Zoom call. We were having like our leaders meetings or Sunday gatherings. I don't know what we were doing, but we just saw this thing like just hang out around her. And we're like, Stacy, is, is that a raccoon? Like, what the? She's like, yeah, I have a pet raccoon. She, she <laughs> domesticates raccoons. <laughs> and we were all like, Stacy, get that thing out of your house. That's a terrible idea. Like, that thing is going to eat you and give you rabies. Like, what's wrong with it's you? A, it's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and she's and then later she like texts me and she's like yeah you know i rescued another raccoon the other day i'm like stacy it's a raccoon raccoons do not need to be rescued constantly what's happening here but so she so that's stacy hester but she has achieved so much spiritual authority yeah. in her town yeah that like when stuff happens in her town mm -hmm. people call the police Right, but the police will actually call Stacy Hester if it involves Come a woman on, on the street. Yeah. So yeah. they're Come like, on. "Hey, we know that this is your area of expertise. Could you go deal with this? Because we don't have time, or we're busy, or we just don't know how. You go deal with that." Uh, and so that's the kind of person that she is. So this woman has who has raccoons, rescues raccoons for fun, uh, is respected by the police. Which, if you know her story. Her relationship with the police is really complicated yeah. and yeah. like mm. lots of trauma around that. And so I just think it's stuff like that that I'm like, oh, I think I know stuff about ministry and about God and the way that God works. <laughs> I know nothing. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good point. Like there are weird microchurches, but then there are like there are like, you know, fairly normal or simple microchurches that are led sure. by like what society would deem a weird person, you know, and sure. The point, like the, the really big point there to what Tommy's describing is like, if we were decide, like if I'm leading an existing church system or something like that, I'm leading a congregation and I'm hearing this conversation and I'm thinking, yeah, I want to empower people. I want to empower people to lead microchurches. I want to kind of decentralize a little bit. I want to release the priesthood of all believers. And we, one of the immediate questions we start asking is we scan mentally like the congregation and we think who has, who are the potential leaders? And the grid that we have in our head of what is a potential leader, like who is and who is not a potential leader. And we scan the congregation. Yeah. Stacy Hester is never going to be a potential leader for anybody's grid. 
Wow. Like when they're trying to decide ahead of time, who are the potential right. leaders that we're going to invest in and unleash to start microchurches? She's not going to be on anybody's radar. She might mm-hmm. actually be, she might actually be disqualified from ministry leadership on some people's radars, depending on what that grid is. So it's one of those things where it's like the people that God activates and works through are, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by this. Like the Bible is just full of them. Like all the heroes in the Bible are like people that we would think, we would think like, sure. get out of my church. You're strange. You know? Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things like that that's that's been one of the gifts of like sitting back and trying to be a community that reacts to what God does. We don't try to mm. we don't try to say what God is going to do and then strategize yeah. around it. We react to what God is doing because what God is doing is almost never what 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 we would have proactively said was going to happen. Both through mm. people and and the activity itself, you know. Yeah. That's so good. I it, So I'm just curious, like, what would have to happen for somebody? Like, what kind of idea would somebody have to present to you guys where you would just be like, no, like, we can't do that. Well, yeah, the, the reasons to somebody's say like, no. We want to have church in the dolphin tank at the aquarium or like, you know. <laughs> we'll green light it, man. We'll green light it. So the, the things that the things that the, the reasons I, we say no yeah. are um, because they either they're not um they don't agree with the underground manifesto so we do have like a value like a, a, a values document that's kind of the spine of the underground it's like everybody in the underground is doing vastly different things it looks like chaos it looks like there's nothing ordering it but the main thing that's ordering it is the underground manifesto which is like a, sh- a shared commitment to a set of values and if you don't share those values, then we wouldn't greenlight you as a microchurch. It, and it's st- the thing you're leading still might not might actually be a, a microchurch in our eyes, but um, it's like a family thing. It's like this; these values are like what make underground family. And are you family with us? You know, um, so that would be a reason we say no to stuff is if we're not like on the same page in terms of some values, some core set of values. And then the the other reasons we say no is because of. Um, the ecclesial minimum safety yeah yeah danger and safety (laughs) the other reasons we say no is because of ecclesial minimum stuff like we have a lot of people reach out to us to be a microchurch in the in the network but they don't they they have worship and community but they don't have mission um they're they're trying to start prayer gatherings all over the city we might even say that's a great idea and you might actually be called to do that you should probably if you feel called to do that go do it but it's not a microchurch because it's not aimed at the lost and the poor it's aimed at christians um Again, which isn't a bad thing, but it's not a microchurch. There might be people who are doing yeah. worship and mission, but they're they're not doing it in community or for community. They're doing it by themselves. It's itinerant mm. ministry. And they reach out to us because they think we just like help ministries, which is true, but it's like not that's not the church. That's itinerant ministry. Um, or it might be something that's like it's 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 community and mission, but it. it it might be an entity that struggles to publicly identify as Christocentric, like Jesus centered, whether they're, mm. they're like trying to secure grant money or something. And they think if they talk about being Christian, they're going to lose grant money or they're, they're trying to be like gentle as wise as serpents, gentle as doves and trying to like engage culture in a really creative way or something like that. But for us, it's like that worship piece. Is also super important, like right. being totally surrendered right. to Jesus. So those would be the reasons we say no. But if people can demonstrate how they have worship and community mission and they're doing something, they're going to go about doing something that's weird, very weird, mm. potentially dangerous. Um, <laughs> potentially dangerous. We'll say yes, man. We have to. It's we have to. We're like bound to say yes. 
Yeah. As long as they so satisfy if, the So if I want to have a micro church around, we're going to wa- every week we watch an episode of The Office and then we talk about <laughs> we talk, and then we 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 use it to lead us into a conversation that's a, about that's a people gospel, group, bro. That's a Jesus, people group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a that people, is a people group. group. That's a people that's group. That's my people group. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it could I that actually sounds really interesting. Like, <laughs> I'd go. Yeah, tell me what's to join I'd, your mind. I would church. go or I'd lead it. I mean, I'm saying we could start a movement. No, but um, uh, I had a follow. I had a, an actual to, question. But to your to your point, I was on. Ahead. I was on a. I had a conversation last week with a guy that um was like, I love baseball and I love watching baseball, which I I'm shocked by. But he was like, I love watching baseball and I love going to the bar. What if I just like go watch baseball at the bar and just try to talk to people about Jesus or something like that? Mm-hmm. And um, technically that could be a microchurch, but I told him no, because there is a way, and this is happening right now, like in the, in the broader microchurch conversation in the West, there is a way in which people are just trying to baptize their pre-existing hobbies and interests with like Jesus, just so Ooh, that I can do it wow. as much as I want. Um, wow. But for yeah. us, it's always been a matter of calling. Like, it's fine yeah. to do something. It's and it matters how you're wired matters. So your your passions and your hobbies that matters. That we're not saying that doesn't matter, but the reason to do it is because Jesus is asking you and drawing you and calling you to do it. Not because yes. you just want to watch more baseball or something. And you and you want to <laughs> baptize that and justify that time. Um, and it is a thing that's happening in the broader like decent like micro. We see it happening yeah, in the yeah, broader. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's like I got you. It's like it, it's a really it, it, what what you did right there is like actually an amazing joke. I think it's hilarious, and it illustrates this point. It's like some people are totally doing that. They're like, "I love the office. Like, I want to start a microchurch. What are the things that I already pre-existing love to do? I love the office, and I want to get with the, these people that love the office that I already enjoy spending time with, and then I can just call that like Christian time." Right. That yeah. that is not how to go. Like yeah, that's people not need, the motivation. That yeah, people need to like sure. get in a prayer closet. People need to like get alone with the Lord. They need to like get in the woods or something and give like four hours of silence and be like, God, what are you destining me to do in your redemptive story for this city? What's my part to play? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that might have literally nothing to do with my interests, actually. It, I might actually get called into a place that doesn't make any sense for me or my wiring or my history or my, and we have plenty of microchurches like that. They're, they're microchurches that are being led by people that, that it does not make any sense, but it's fruitful because the Lord. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is like a little, I'm, it's a little soapbox for me right now, but. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, I'm curious about the worship component. So, you know, worship is one of the, the aspects of the ecclesial minimum of, of what's, you know, we need to have worship as an element of our, community of what we do. Uh, but I'm curious about um, the the different expressions of worship. So because uh, I would imagine that different groups, well, actually, so here's my question. Um, are there groups that get together around a particular form of worship or a particular way that they, they want to um, express themselves in worship to God? So in other words, um, is it all, would, would you say that you know, when we talk about traditional worship in the church, um, there's maybe a band or maybe you're not there yet and you're using some, you know, you're using Spotify and you're listening to music or, you know, something like that. But you're singing along 
with traditional worship songs and things like that. I'm just curious, is the worship component, how would you guys kind of define that to where if somebody came to you and said, uh, you know what, uh, we we have this, we want this to be our missional focus um, and uh, we want, you know, to establish community, but we really want our worship to kind of be more like this um and you know maybe there's a particular form of worship that they're trying to almost attract people based on uh, you know particular uh, format of worship that may not sit in the traditional church context um i don't know if it's making sense the way i'm asking this question but i'm just curious about maybe like some of the different worship expressions that you guys have seen um in the different micro church communities yeah so i mean i think a few things one i think every microchurch has to figure out what it means to be an us right so uh i you know maybe some of this is um i'm currently in the middle of eric reese's uh lean startup and so all this is very fresh kind of that mvp minimal viable product like you think you know how you're going to operate in real time and space in this thing that you've created uh, and in actuality, you have no idea, like you're going to mm-hmm. try stuff and you're going to have to iterate yeah. and experiment and change things. And it's going to be dynamic. And so, yeah, I think every microchurch is going to have to figure out worship for, and what works as a worship component for them. And so I think that's maybe one thing. But I would what I would say to kind of maybe the bigger overarching question or the bigger overarching answer is, you know, worship if worship is romans 12 if it's that vertical alignment with jesus like jesus is lord and we are learning to hear his voice we are learning to love and obey him uh and everything else so that's like we're looking at the essence of worship right and so everything else then becomes a tool or a way to get there and so that could be singing songs that could be studying the bible it could be uh prayer and worship nights and prayer moments and uh you know these things that keep us aligned to the heart of god and keep us from remembering that like jesus sits Mm -hmm. on the throne of the universe and the throne of our lives and our hearts and he's the one who actually calls the shots and so however microchurches decide to do that i guess maybe that answer should have come first that really uh the encouragement would be to not conflate the tool with the essence. So whatever the the thing that you're trying to do, whatever tool that you're using, uh, there's a lot of freedom for that to change over time because actually what you're after is this thing. Like you want uh, a white hot faith after Jesus, like whole life surrender commitment. Like I'm allowing Jesus to disrupt my life Uh, and worship songs can be helpful for that. Uh, because it can be a way that we remember together communally that this is who Jesus is and this is our posture towards him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say every microchurch has to figure that out for themselves. They have to figure out what it means to be in us and what the form of worship. Now, attracting people through that form of worship, uh, I don't know, maybe. That uh, I, I could work. I, I just think, yeah, as people come, yeah, microchurches are having to figure out, okay, it is kind of weird to like sit in a living room with a guitar and there's like five of us and we're going to try to like sing a worship song and we could all hear each other sing. And that person really sings mm-hmm. off key. But, you know, hey, man, give it all you got. Uh, everything yeah. as unto the Lord. Right. So uh, they might have to figure out like, yeah, maybe they're not necessarily trying to attract people through their worship style. Uh, 
but there are gonna they are gonna have to work out how worship looks for them as a community. I don't know if that answers mm. your question. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did good. <laughs> you did good. Yeah. I, I was just I was just curious about um the different uh you know, if if you see a lot of you know different expression come out in the in the worship component. Um the other thing I'm curious about is so with the so for example in, in Tampa where you have all these different micro churches, is there much like interconnectivity between the different churches or yeah like is is everybody kind of aware like okay we we're doing church this way but we're part of a you know a larger kind of church community movement where you know we're part of this underground network and then is there you know is there connection is there interaction between the different churches i would imagine that to an extent that's probably up to the people that are running the you know the micro churches and that are involved and stuff like that but is that something that you guys see is it something that you guys promote and encourage or how does that work yeah so you know earlier tell me was running through some of the services that we we provide micro churches you know the 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 underground is a side by side um entity you know they're on on the one hand it's the network of microchurches, grassroots, autonomous. That's where the church governance exists. That's where the governing elders are, the ordination processes. But on the other side, the underground is a nonprofit platform of services. That's what Tommy and I work for. We don't work for the church. We don't work for, we don't get paid to do microchurch. Uh, we don't get paid to be elders or governance or any of that, that kind of stuff. That's all the grassroots, not identified with the like federally or it's not an entity in any right, way. Right. We work for a nonprofit platform of services that exists to serve the network of microchurches. And those services are like media and finance and coaching and training. And we oversee a staff team that helps pull off a lot of those services. We would consider that the 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 convening environments of the network where they can they can rub shoulders with each other and they can discover healthy collaboration and they can inspire one another and they can have some of that interconnectivity it's the job of the nonprofit to convene those gathering spaces because if we don't do it then over on the church side there's there's kind of a diffusion responsibility who's doing that and and then it's work for them too. Like we got to find a space right. that fits all of us and we've got to set the tables and all that kind of stuff. And we're not trying to bother the missionaries with that kind of, those kinds of logistics and decision-making. So that's a, that's a service convening environments is like a service that our staff team provides for the network. Um, and that happens a lot of different ways. I mean, we do, we do an annual conference, like a weekend conference. We do a couple annual conferences. One of them is like for the whole international movement. Um, and then we do one every August that's called Leadership Summit, and that like gathers. It's a, it's a space. It's a weekend conference that gathers all the microchurch leaders to be able to do some praying and planning for a new year together, and to like make some goals and make some next steps. But then we do. Um, we were for two and a half years. We were doing monthly uh, convening spaces on the first Sunday of every month, um, mm. and uh, for the network to all get together and. Those spaces would be like worship. We'd have worship. We'd worship together. We would take communion as a whole network. There would usually be we'd we'd have like one or two people deliver like some thought leadership or deliver some inspiration, like teachers, good teachers, yeah. you know, in the in the movement, to be able to offer that gift for the 
edification and maturing of the whole body. Um, and so, you know, but those are, again, the logistics and the decision-making and the coordination of all that would be a job of the nonprofit. But we're pulling in a lot of those people to like lead and contribute and to, and to, and we're trying to design those spaces for connectivity, dialogue, relationship. Um, it's really rare for us to top down decide for a handful of microchurches that they should collaborate. Mm, um, right. Collaborate. Right. There's a ton of collaboration in the network, like two or three or four or five microchurches that are working together very intentionally because cool. their work overlaps. But those collaborations are largely grassroots. It's bottom up. They're they're finding each. We'll make connections. We're not dumb. You know, we're, we're to be like, hey, you should really know this person. Like, you guys should go out for coffee. And we're hoping like, hey, if there's something there, they'll discover it. We're not going to force right. it. Um, right. So there's all kinds of collaboration all over the network. And we we kind of try to make connections with people, but we don't top down, try to force that kind of stuff. Um, but it's really beautiful when it happens. It's awesome. Um, That's awesome. I love it. Um, is, a, is a micro church... Um, Okay. Uh, are, are, is a microchurch designed to continue to – okay, so I'm, try, I'm trying to think about this in my mind. Um, is a microchurch designed to continue to grow? Like does it get to a certain point where you'd say, you know what, we're not micro anymore? Or like does it get to a point where it's like we might need to split this up um, slash – do you, do you think that is, does a micro church, do you feel like, um, do they often get to the point where they kind of reach an inevitable conclusion or like, do, is the goal for them to kind of continue to go on? Like, is it the kind of thing like, okay, I feel like the Lord led me for this season to, to, to start this micro church, um, you know, maybe four years in five years in or something like that. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do something else. So is this something where I'm going to, I want to like pass this off to somebody else to keep it going um, just curious about how that that kind of stuff works out, because, you know, as you're bringing people in, I mean, you might start off. You mentioned a couple of different references where, you know, this thing started off with one guy or with two people that were just, you know, meeting in a in a bar or they were meeting on the porch outside their house or something like that. It started that way. But all these people started coming over time. And now, you know, several years in, this is kind of it's grown into something you know, um, much bigger, I guess, just, you know, curious at, at what point do you guys just kind of allow things to just progress naturally all the way through, or does it get to a point where it's kind of like, uh, maybe we need to start thinking about splitting this up into some more groups or, or something like that. How would that kind of work out? Yeah. All of the above, um, all the so above. I, yeah. I, I guess so it depends, right? <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, there's like, there's two, I mean, I guess there's two conversations that are that uh, not two conversations, but two questions kind of baked into that. So one is almost a question about like longevity of a microchurch and mm -hmm. like life cycle of a microchurch. So yeah. for us, we are totally uh, yeah, we don't we don't operate underneath the assumption that every microchurch will or even should exist forever and always for all eternity or, or, or whatever. It's um, as we have kind of <laughs> journeyed throughout yes. the years. Yeah. Uh, as we've journeyed with microchurch leaders, we've seen that, you know, maybe on average, a microchurch has a two to three year lifespan. Uh, and it's not okay. to say that they will die at the end of three years or something like that, but 
I mean, Timothy Initiative is a great example of this. I mean, they've been around for over a decade, but the amount of iterations that they've had over the course of time mm. that it they're not the same Timothy Initiative they were when yeah. they first started. Uh, and who knows? They probably won't be the same Timothy Initiative three years from now as they are right now. So it's not that they just die and that's it. Um, but, you know, they can they can change and evolve over the course of time. And like you mentioned, sometimes a leader will sense from the Lord, OK, this was for a certain season. And so we are always trying to help leaders understand that calling isn't something that is forever and always, but it is something that's dynamic that you do have to continually go back to Lord, the Lord and like listen and ask, OK, God, what would you have me do? Uh, and maybe it's not a conversation that you have every day about like, am I still called to this thing? Because that's just kind of exhausting. Uh, but you should have it baked in somewhere in your the rhythms of your life that you're going mm -hmm. to ask again, okay, God, is this what you have for me? Is it, is, do you mm -hmm. still want me to lead this community? And sometimes people will say, like, they'll personally feel like, all right, I personally feel like I'm done. I don't have anything left in me. And then they have a, they go through a retreat with us and then they come out the end and they're like, you know, I feel this way, but the Lord, he's not letting me finish just yet. He's saying, keep going. And sometimes people, it's the opposite. They want to keep going. They want to hold on to this thing and fight for it. And they hear like, actually, I think I, I hear this invitation to something else. And what do I do with that? And so, uh, yeah, they don't always last forever. Sometimes leaders hear a different calling and that's totally fine and normal, even if something were to die. And so I think this is really fascinating too, is that sometimes microchurches crash and burn. Like everything, mm. they're so dynamic right that yeah uh you know you can have a season where everything is amazing and great and then all of a sudden i don't know uh your microchurch implodes for one reason or another uh and mm -hmm. you would think that that would be the end of like the leader and the microchurch and it might be the end of the microchurch but what i found <laughs> with our community that leaders they're like yeah that stunk and that hurt and i and i don't know what the heck just happened but I'm not done. I'm I'm going to pray. Like, they might take some time to, whatever, grieve a little bit. But they'll get back up. And they're resilient. And they'll find another thing that they feel called to. Like, God doesn't leave them alone. He's no respecter of persons. Uh, and so that's what we actually celebrate. We don't celebrate necessarily. I mean, we do encourage and love when microchurches go for 15, 20 years. But what's more important to us is that leaders persevere and that they continue in the fight. And so that's one piece of it. Now, the other end of that, like expansion and multiplication. Mm -hmm. So some of that, I would say, as we don't top down command microchurches to sure. do like we don't have like best practices like, oh, if your microchurch hits 30 people, then you have to consider splitting that up. Right. Um, I think some of that comes to the leader. Now, this is where coaching becomes important yeah. uh, because we do have coaches and leaders in the network who do serve as just a listening ear to ask a couple of questions and help people kind of clarify some of the things, uh, the barriers that they're coming up against. And what might happen in those coaching conversations is that it might they might say, well, hey, part of what we understand that happens in a microchurch, if a microchurch is working at its... Uh, full potency is that people are also hearing callings. And so it's not just that like they join your microchurch and that's it. And they're always in it. But you yourself, you have started your microchurch in response to a calling that God has placed on you. And if you are, uh, I don't know, creating altar moments for people to also hear from God, then there's a chance that they too are also hearing callings. 
And so how are you releasing people to start new things? Uh, to what extent are those new things something completely different from what you have going on? Maybe it's that those people are meant to take over what you currently have or they're supposed to start like a, an off branch of that. So expansion can come in a lot of different ways. It could be that the same thing gets multiplied out. It could be that the thing just grows, right? And then maybe you have to figure out uh, I don't know the living room situation because if you're meeting in a house, uh, you're eventually going to run out of space. Uh, and sometimes right. uh, it just looks like you know them starting something completely different. And so, mm. yeah, I think that's been a helpful way for us to kind of think about ex, uh, multiplication and growth. Is that it's not just multiplication, but really it's the family of God is expanding. And in that last, I mean we've kind of discerned maybe four stages of development in a microchurch. And that last stage uh, is that expansion stage that's characterized by its welcoming of new people. So the family is growing, but also sending and releasing people to go wow. answer and respond to what God has put on their hearts. So uh, wow. that's a, that's a long answer, but you ask big questions and, so, <laughs> and, and nothing's ever really straightforward with the underground. Yeah, if you yeah, haven't no. noticed already that yeah. like you'll ask the underground a simple question and it's like, well, actually it's not so simple. There's Literally like, every question. We Literally. have to like go back <laughs> a certain distance. It all to... started in 47 AD. <laughs> <laughs> you, were so, uh... you were very kind in saying I asked big questions when you really wanted to say convoluted questions. <laughs> no, no. Um, but that's super helpful. And I, I'm just, I'm just thinking, well, first of all, I love it. I love, um, I love the freedom. That's, that's kind of that, that, that surrounds this where, you know, you say, you know, someone who's starting a micro church, um, just how, how much freedom you give them to kind of allow it to flow out of their experiences with the Lord and, and what the Lord is leading them to do. But at the same time, it's not so, it's not so lax that you're just like, do whatever you want. Like there's right. a, there's a, there's a structure of, you know, we're, we're adhering to a certain set of values and uh, we're, you know, that's why we're joining our hearts together in this and walking together, even though so many of these are going to look so differently. And I love the fact that, you know, I just feel like it's such a model where it it just allows for the Holy Spirit to move and it allows for just such creativity, the creativity of God to just be expressed. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this happens or not, but I could see like, you know, where people, you know, maybe maybe somebody is a part of a particular micro church, but because the micro church is the different leaders, you know, maybe they're connected with a handful of others that are doing different things. And and kind of like maybe like some trading goes on where it's like, you know what, I think that you would like really actually benefit from, you know, checking out uh, Tom's micro church over here, mm -hmm. because it, it just really seems like the things that you're bringing up in our discussions, it just really seems like the things that they're dealing with on a weekly basis and yeah. that they're, they're talking about. And so I feel like that would be awesome for you. And I, I just love that kind of the, the freedom that is the, the door for that freedom that's just opened through the way that you all um, do things. And just in asking you these questions and the way that you've been responding, uh, it just seems like you guys have been so thoughtful about this. And I, and I feel like um, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, just in the, even like the bio that I read at the beginning where it says an experimental community. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like there's just, I'm sure there's been so much of that, right? Where it's been, we tried this and we found out like we it needs to be tweaked. We need to do it a little bit differently uh, from your, from your perspective. Um, uh, I'll, 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 I'll shoot this to Lucas. Um, what's the, um, what what does that mean? Like as far as the an experimental community yeah. of micro churches, what does what does that? Uh, yeah. 
Well, I think it mean it means for us maybe two things. One is um that we're we feel very committed to to be a community that's experimenting on the future edge of the church. So ba- so basically like if you look at all the the data and statistics, statistics, right? It's basically from generation to generation. It's just looking like anybody who takes a church planting or church leadership strategy that's attractional, we'd say that's like a prevailing model of church. That um, strategy has a shelf life. Uh, mm. You 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 have a twenty year shelf life before that strategy is dead. You know there there will be a handful of exceptions that survive that strategy, but now, some people are like, hey, it's working right now, and it is. Like, there are still, like, uh, attractional strategies are, are still effective for a certain percentage population of the uh, country and of the West. So we shouldn't just kill it and not do it anymore because it is effective for a certain pocket of people. But that percentage is lo- it's l- less than 50%, significantly less, and it's decreasing every generation. So it's like not everybody should stop and, not, and, and like, not do it anymore. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to experiment on what the church needs to look like 20 years from now uh, to to actually like thrive in a post-Christian context, a missionary Mm, context. So we do see ourselves as like there's 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 certainly other ways to effectively be the church right now. But we are trying to both remember who the church has been theologically and recapture a New Testament imagination of the church. And then try to embed that ima- imagination in the current context in a way that's actually going to be sustainable on the future edge of the church. So we almost see ourselves as not—we've um, never been this way. Some, some people think the underground is like against the church and very reactionary and kind of prophetic yeah. and challenging or whatever. We actually love the church. We're obsessed with the church. And we actually see being future and experimentally oriented as a way to serve the church. Like we're going to go learn things— we're going to posture ourselves to learn things and then and then funnel that learning back to the church for free so that they can learn how to adapt and change for this for the future um so that's part of it is is like the the general future of the church in the west in a in a, in a post-christian context and trying to experiment with a new way to be mm. re, re, like reimagining a new way and old way like recapturing yeah. an old way to be the church in a new time and then funneling that learning, like we'll take the we'll take the beatings, we'll we'll make the mistakes, we'll learn the hard lessons, and then we'll pass it on. Yeah, um, somebody's got to do that. So we've always seen that that's been a part of our kind of mantle or our legacy is to like try to be that for the church yeah. um, as servants. Yeah. The other thing is is that we actually think our microchurches are going to discover ways to be the church among specific people groups that will actually be, again, will be, will provide thought leadership and gift to the broader church. You know, like what Timothy initiative is a great example. They've been doing this for 10 or 15 years that it's a, it's a community of like sobriety and healing for men coming out of addiction and homelessness it's got, it's got um, sober living communities and vocational rehabilitation stuff now the guy the guy who originally started Timothy Initiative like w- was part of the original team his name is George Wood um he started now he's been doing that work for 15 20 years he's started now to like write write books and ha- have a little bit yeah. of a thought leadership platform around the country 
around the addiction. Yes, to the uncovery. Exactly. He has a a bigger platform. That platform isn't based on like just charisma or something like that. He's actually discovered some some really effective ways that the church needs to be the church um, in the space of addiction. And he's learned that by being on the future edge of, of experimenting. And he's learned some things that I think the church needs to hear. And that book is fantastic. Yes, um, yes it's incredible. And so I think Game that's changer. that is one example of how these microchurches are actually like we're releasing indigenous contextualized missionaries to have a lot of freedom to design. And we think they are going to discover things on how to effectively be the church among groups of people for whom the church has not traditionally been effective. Wow. And those little those little bits of wisdom, those little nuggets, we want to pass pass back uh, to to everywhere. So I think it's uh, um, Tommy. You could remind me, but uh, you know, you talked with Brian uh, previously, but Brian always used to refer to underground as DARPA. Um, you know, there was like this. There's like this government agency called DARPA, and. Uh, that government agency is funded to basically like the 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 purpose of DARPA is to find the solutions to the problems that we don't yet face. Mm. Wow. Um, and Brian always used to d- just do that quick illustration like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he would always be like, like underground is the DARPA of the Western and American church. Like we're trying to design to solve problems that the church isn't even quite yet grappling with. Maybe yeah, doesn't yeah, even yeah, totally right. know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So I think that's what it means to, to us. And that, and that's why it's like, we're always changing. Like the way the underground is right now is very different than what it was five years ago. Very different than what it was 10 years ago. And it's going to be very different five years from now in the future. Like yeah. so much about us. Um, because as soon as so, as soon as something feels like um, I don't know a solution or something like that, and then we we have other communities around the country who are learning from who we were five years ago, and but we're very different now. <laughs> right. right. Um, but but that's not to tell them like, hey, don't do what we did five years ago. That was great. It's just we're trying to think through other problems now. Like, mm, um, yeah. Yeah. You know the the big problem that we were trying to to, to tackle in the mid two thousands and late two thousands was just tr- how to how to develop an ecclesial structure that supports and releases the priesthood of all believers instead of get in the way and hinder it, hmm. and establishes governance. I mean, in, in the past, decentralized house church movements either totally dissolved and crumbled in one generation because they had no governance, mm. or the reaction to that is to build out so much governance that it kills the movement of God. You know, that's a Wesleyan, right? right? right. So yeah. it's like, how do we live in the middle of that and not, and learn from history and try to create a, a, a an ecclesial infrastructure that acknowledges those two pitfalls, gives yeah. room, but has some governance. Well, I'm not, I'm not actually like, I, I think that problem, there's like a lot of solutions for now. And the, the missional conversation is so ubiquitous and people are experimenting with things all over the place. So uh, at Tampa, we're almost like th- not thinking about that quite as much. Like mm-hmm. um, yeah. we're, th- we're we're almost now thinking about like what's the the next. So we're I think we're like obsessing now over economic models, like bivocational, co-vocational stuff. Um, like the the financial future of the church is going to be vastly different than it is right now, and right. vocational yeah. expectations around church leadership is going to be vastly different than it is right now. 
and uh some of the like um i think i think doing a doing a decentralized network of microchurches actually makes the work of reconciliation and unity in a time of polarization harder than if you were leading a centralized entity um so we're thinking about that too. We're trying to think about like, okay, now we've we've kind of convinced everybody to try this decentralized network <laughs> stuff, but it's harder now than it ever was before because the relational yeah. fracturing and the polarization, it's like actually kind of a hard time to do that. Um, so yeah. how do you how do you wow. still do it? Don't throw the baby out with the bath bathwater. How do you still do it? But design for those difficulties, you know, that's on the yeah. horizon now. That's on the horizon. Yeah. Oof. Man, that's so good. I, I, man, one of the things I'm most excited about is uh, what you were talking about um, a, a minute or two ago about uh, your, your just your desire to serve. You know, your desire to serve the larger church uh, context and to not not larger churches, but I just mean the the church yes. context yeah. as a whole. Um, and uh, you know, finding ways to build bridges to say, you know what, like we're we're doing this experiment, we're implementing these different uh you know practices and and we're implementing this way of uh of releasing people into calling in a way that you know they don't it, it doesn't have to take six to eight years for you to go to you know school and study and to do that not you know if, if that's your path like that's awesome yeah. but if it's not you know and god's calling you to do something now like you can express your your missional heart and your love for your community or, or for a particular segment of the of the community or whatever in this way and if the lord's leading you to do this you know we've got an avenue where you could partner up you know with us or even without us but you can you know we've got an avenue where you can get out there and do this and i i, I love the the bridge building mentality of you know what let's let's figure out some things here that show how we can um, you know, operate as the capital C church of Jesus Christ. And, you know, how can we build these bridges to say, you know what, if you're a large church and you've got a thousand people or 5,000 people or whatever, maybe there are some things that we're implementing over here that could help you to strategize, to see like, you know, you're, you're missing a, like a, a segment of your population that isn't going uh, further and they're not experiencing true community so how can you take these principles that we've seen that they work so well over here in this smaller context and how can we build this bridge to implement this into a larger organization or church structure and uh, that's the kind of stuff man that just i'm i'm so fascinated with and that just excites me about the the church coming together in all different expressions where you know a large church could look at a micro church doing air you know air quotes could look at a micro church and say oh well that's not the real church or they're not doing it on the level that we're doing it well you know what maybe <laughs> just maybe we can learn from each other you know just maybe we're doing some things over here and just because we don't have the numbers that 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 are going on over here which is actually kind of by design because it's you know what we've set out to do in this missional context where we're actually taking over a city by being you know split into these uh you know different areas where where I'm impacting a, a particular aspect of this community and this church over here is doing this but you know where I, I'm just so excited about about bridge building where it's like we're not looking at each other as less or more or we're doing something better than you or worse than you or something like that but how can we as the people of god work together partner together to reach the ultimate goal which is to see the name of jesus known 
in our world to see communities broken, communities that are broken, restored, and uh, to just see uh, people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like, how can we work together on that? And as you guys are just talking through these different things, I'm just um, that's that's all my mind does. Like the whole time is just like, oh, I like either I see how I can take that and implement it in what I'm doing or you know what, Lord, let me let me spend some time with you <laughs> to find out how I can implement this philosophy or this strategy in what we're doing over here, because it's it's working, you know. Um, and I'm I'm just curious, guys, and we'll start to we'll start to wrap this up. We're coming up pretty close on 90 minutes, and I appreciate you guys for being so generous with your time. Uh, just curious about like for you for you both. Um, start with you, Tommy, if that's okay. But um, you know, what's just some of the most exciting fruit that you guys have just seen throughout this journey, throughout this experiment, you know, throughout uh, just your role there as uh, executive directors or even, you know, before that, but just in this context of microchurch, what's some of the most exciting, uh, just fruit of what the Lord has done that you guys, you've mentioned some things already that are pretty, pretty awesome, <laughs> pretty amazing of, uh, you know, just some very creative, unique expressions of church where it's like, doesn't look like this is going to work. And then God just takes it and just does incredible things with it. But um, yeah, I'd just love to hear from you both personally, if you'd want to share maybe one or two things uh, just about some things that you've seen that have happened uh, that you're just uh, excited about what God is doing. Oh man, that's, I know it's, it's, it's loaded. That's but... <laughs> hard. It's like, where do you even start? I mean, there's so many things that I'm excited about and maybe one of the things that, you know, this isn't going to answer your question exactly. So I apologize in advance. Uh, but it kind of goes back to me what we were talking about earlier uh, is I think, you know, maybe one thing that we haven't really talked about much uh, in this podcast is just the leadership community that gets created in a system like this. Right. So uh, because you have this community of people who are all called to different things, all doing different things, expressions of ministry in the city, sometimes doing, you know, outreach to the same community of people, same type of demographic, but doing it in completely different ways. Uh, mm. There it's like, yeah, there's a way that that could be weird. Like you could feel like no one gets me, no one understands me, no one's doing exactly what I'm doing. And yet the opposite is true. It's like, because everyone's doing different stuff, but everyone knows what it's like to say yes to Jesus to something that feels so foreign to your comfort zone. And mm. everyone knows what it's like to get punched in the face by the devil at least once. It's like you come together and, and there's like a, I don't know, there, the leadership perseverance, the, the way that people understand each other and relate to each other. It's like, you look around the room and there's no reason why some of these people should be in the same room with each other. Uh, and yet they are because they know what it's like to be sent by God to do something that feels so beyond mm. them. And so mm -hmm. that that the, the amount of perseverance that happens across that. And yeah, even when I was talking about, you know, leaders that have their microchurches implode, but keep going. I mean, every single one of our leaders at one point has wanted to quit what they're doing. Uh, yes. And so we have tried our best to like normalize failure, to like talk about suffering a lot. And, you know, every single one of our leaders at one point has wanted to quit what they're doing. And 
because of that, like there's no shame in talking about that with another leader. And then the other leader will say, yeah, me too. But Jesus. <laughs> and so it's like as hard as it is, people will say, okay, yeah, because I, it's not that Tommy told me to go reach single moms. And so when this thing goes bad, I get mad at Tommy. Uh, it, it's that <laughs> yes. Jesus told me to do this thing. And so when things go bad, I mean, I can get mad at Jesus, yeah. but the calling doesn't change. It, it hasn't shifted, not yeah. yet. And so I think that community amazes me and the way that it really is so sort of, uh, yeah, there's a, a synergy across that. So like you mentioned, yeah, sometimes people will say, yeah, I think this microchurch makes sense for you. You should go talk to that. And people being very open-handed and there's no competition in that. Like it's so blue ocean strategy. Like, yeah, because you lead this, uh, this Bible study at this, you know, craft brewery, there's no way that I could look at your metrics and feel like, oh man, my microchurch among vulnerable women in the sex industry is somehow failing at life because we don't have the numbers of your Bible study in this bar. Mm. It's like, no, you're yeah, so yeah. different. You can't have yeah. the, the same metrics. And so right. I think that is such an amazing thing to me. Uh, so the the leadership perseverance, the the, dis, the diversity of our leaders, the the way that some of these people, I mean, just have been in it for two decades. So we, I mean, there's a couple in our uh, community who I just am so amazed by them. The husband runs a barbershop and disciples men out of his barbershop and has been doing that mm -hmm. for like 20 odd years. <laughs> you know, that's just his thing. He gives haircuts and he talks about life with the men that he gives haircuts to. And he's journeyed with them as they've had children and have started families and his wife almost does the exact same thing, but runs a salon and has been doing that for 25 years. And they wow. just amazing to me. And I just think there's stuff like that, that I, I just, I don't know. I'm just amazed by it. So of course there's, you know, things like, you know, ordinances being changed in the city, the state of Florida around human trafficking, because one of our micro churches is, uh, you know, at it and just has made connections. There's, um, you know, city officials who've like signed key legislation in our building because one of our microchurch leaders uh, does stuff by way of disaster relief and all sorts of stuff. Just, you know, just the recognition that that happens for some of these people, the, the credibility that they get in the city is incredible. But to me, I mean, the thing that always blows me away, and I'll say it to our community, is that it's not just that these individual microchurches exist. That, that in itself is amazing. But to me, what's amazing is that they exist together and that they know each other and that people would never assume that, you know, this guy who runs this coffee shop over here is also connected to this guy, this guy over here who, uh, I don't know, is doing really unique who runs a bike shop that's a social enterprise so that the homeless can earn a bike because that's their main way of transportation uh no one would associate that those two guys are together but they know each other and they're separate entities in the world but yeah. the under the undercurrent the it's this underground network that exists uh and to me i just think that's the coolest thing in the world and so uh, I don't know if that answers your question at all. Beautifully, but it just beautifully. Felt like it was worth saying. Nailed Lucas, it. I'll let you chime in. You crushed it, Tommy. Appreciate it, bro. I think you're muted. Oh, I think you Lucas. might be muted, Lucas. 
yeah, Tommy, Tommy took mine. I was going to say persevering leaders too, but um, I, so I guess in second place, I would say in terms of like fruit that is, is really exciting for us to see. I just think in the, particularly in the last like three or four years, I think we've actually started to see like the needle of e of certain evils, like move in our city. Um, mm. be, be, and yeah. I, you know, there's this, um, I don't remember who the author was, but that book team of teams, you remember the author's name? Uh, Tommy? uh was that Stanley like McChrystal? A, yes. Yeah. McChrystal. He's got this quick line where, you know, he's talking about like, like orderly or simple evils require straightforward solutions, but networked problems require networked solutions. Yeah. And, yeah. I just think evil, evil and lostness themselves are networked problems. They're complex problems. And, and it, and it seems, this is a generalized statement, but it seems as though the church has been actually taking orderly or simplistic um, strategies and to, to try to solve networked and complex problems. But yeah. now we're, we're seeing situations where like a woman in the sex industry uh, wants to get out and, she finds created and created has a sanctuary house, but she has kids and, and that feels like a barrier. And she's like, I, I really wish I could check into the sanctuary house to get out of the sex industry, but I don't know what to do with my kids. And then suddenly grounded the foster care microchurch or say families might come alongside and say, Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll provide respite care for your kids to remove yeah. that barrier yeah. so that you can check into the sanctuary and check in and take care of yourself. And you're not risking your kids getting taken away by the state or something like that. We'll, we'll do Man. respite care, short-term respite care. So then mom can check in and she, and she gets employed by created cuisine, which is a catering company that um, trains the women and gets them certificates and food handling. And then she gets a job and she gets some, some vocational rehabilitation and help and healing. She's in the sanctuary for two years. She needs longer term housing. And suddenly we, we look over at like just initiative or some of the other micro churches that are trying to work on longer term housing solutions. And she finds a house church community. Like there's, that's a, that evil is complex. Like it's not, it's, it requires all hands on deck, yes. but in, but, but experts in very different lanes yes. that are kind of surrounding situations. And, um, and D Damon most recently, uh, runs a microchurch called ink to ink. It stands for incarcerated to incorporated. It's like even him working with guys who have come out of long-term incarceration and trying to get, trying to work on jobs and housing and mentorship with other business leaders and awesome. also trying to contextualize how to help these people understand Jesus and the gospel and awaken to their need for a community. Like, these are complex problems, but what we're noticing, and Tommy alluded it with the solo moms thing, is like there's like there's like secular civic leaders, like politicians, boards, uh, sheriffs that are that are consulting these simple little microchurch leaders and bringing them into these like citywide evils and being like, you guys have figured something out that all of our millions of federal funded grant dollars and master's degrees couldn't figure out. Tell us yes. what you're, tell us yeah. about this. Yeah. And I think seeing that over the last three or four years, like the way that microchurches are collaborating and the way that microchurch leaders are being elevated as like experts in a field that they have no business being experts in. And this, even the city, the powers and principalities that have gripped the city are like yielding to that kingdom expertise. Um, I just think that's been, there's days when I come home from work and I walk in the front door and my wife will be like, how was work? And what I want to say is like, I saw 
the devil fall like lightning today. That's what I saw today. That's what my job was like today. <laughs> Come on. And, you know, thank God my name is written in the book of life, you know, but, but I saw the yeah, devil fall just, like lightning today, yeah. you know? Um, so that's been really powerful these last few years. See, seeing networked evils being contested by a qualified adversary, like a net, a networked church um, mm. of priests. I feel like I got punched in the chest, like in a, in a good, in a good way. Like, uh, just, yeah, just hearing about, um, how people that are, you know, stuck in these situations and, and, you know, just coming, trying to get free from something mm -hmm. that's just been darkness and it's just, you know, kind of govern their lives. And, um, but, you know, just the people of God, you know, rallying together and, you know, it's it's one thing and, and, and for sure an aspect of of what we do, you know, if we want to transform a city um, or a community, you know, of course, prayer is a, is a big yeah. part of that. But yeah, it's not it's not just it's like finding the creative solutions that God has yeah. and partnering with his heart yeah. to find practical ways to wrap our arms around our cities and our yeah. communities and people that are hurting and broken and that's the kind of stuff that starts to get seen, mm -hmm. you know, as you said, and people even in secular governmental positions or, you know, authority positions where stuff like that starts to get seen where, you know, uh, God just starts to position um, his people for uh, just having opportunity to, to influence and to yeah. and to speak and to see that just advance over time. And uh, man, I'm just so excited. I'm excited for what God's doing it's gotten to this point in um you know the number of years that this has been going on uh i guess a little over a decade or yeah. um yeah you know but it's uh i mean how much more is there to come just how yeah. much more is god just going to continue um to just break into people's lives and it's just so cool uh to uh just see the way that that you guys and and uh, this micro church movement is just partnering uh, together with the heart of God to see the kingdom of God come to the Tampa Bay area. And I just love it so much. I appreciate you guys so much for your time and for talking with me. And uh, I've, we just met. It's, it's where we're, I've got on my clock. Anyway, we've been talking for an hour and 38 minutes. So we met about an hour and 48 minutes ago. And it's been, <laughs> and, uh, a, it's been an amazing hour and 48 minutes together. I feel know? like I've known you guys for, for way longer than, than a day. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> Best hour and 48 minutes of my life. Uh, don't tell that to your family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a specific, it's such a specific unit of time. It's like, yes, that's, yes. As far as hour and 48 minute segments go, that one was this was killer. the best one. It was this golden. was the best one. <laughs> my kids, my kids get the best days of my life, yes, but you correct. guys, the best hour yes. and 48 minutes, yeah. man, it's yeah. going to go down in history as the greatest hour and 48 Honestly, minutes. Honestly, this, this was also the best hour and 48 minutes of my life. Also, <laughs> I, I also don't have many other of those blocks <laughs> to compare. I love uh, it. I love it. You if you're ever down great. in Tampa, be sure to swing by. You're always yeah. invited. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you. people who are listening, if you're curious, you're uh, yeah, you're always welcome to come down to Tampa. We're Dang. always hosting groups and 
yeah, we'll show you around, let you meet some leaders, uh, hear some stories and yeah. Love it. Yeah. I legitimately can't wait to do that. Um, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hop as soon as we end here, I'm going to hop in my car and just, <laughs> But, uh, but 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 tell me would you um would you just uh, mention maybe uh the the website or where people can go if they're interested in finding out some more information about the underground yeah i mean there's a few places uh so i mean gosh where do we even start so i mean of course there's tampaunderground.com that's where you can find information about the the tampa underground itself um but then yeah i mean we are we have uh we're part of i don't even know we there's a global movement of decentralized networks that somehow relate to us not as like tampa underground is like over all these but they're sister networks and they're friends of ours and we just try to exist in pure relationship with one another uh so if you're like curious if there's an underground network or something similar like that in your city uh, undergroundnetwork.org is a great place to look and uh jeremy and stacy they coach leaders all around the world and so sometimes you might not see a network that's listed as a sister movement of ours, but we might have friends there. So that's a good place to go. If you're curious about the underground, its story and its people, uh, I mean, Brian's book, Underground Church, is a great place as any to start uh, figuring out the underground. If you're curious about microchurches and what they can look like, Brian's book on microchurches is as good of any as any place to start. Uh, and if you're looking yes. for stories, tools, frameworks, uh, the underground we have started a podcast uh, called microchurches and so come on we just released our third the first episode of our third season yesterday uh and so you can find that on spotify and anchor and all the places that you listen to your podcasts uh and so mm. there you go uh the world is Love your it. oyster yeah uh, <laughs> have fun <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Micro Churches uh, by Brian Sanders. The book is great. And I and I do think it's one of those kind of going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, one of those uh, bridge builders where yeah, um, it, it really just helps with a, a lot of perspective and, and strategy. And it's um, it's super cool. I love that 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 you're doing a podcast. Mm. love that that's amazing <laughs> um yeah check that out everybody and uh, everybody thank you guys for taking a moment to stop by and check out this episode if you watched live or listened later you guys are amazing and uh i'd love to hear from you i'd love if you, if you would uh, if you got something out of this episode if you'd consider subscribing or uh, leaving a review on one of the podcast platforms would be incredible you guys are the best and uh lucas and tommy again just appreciate you guys thanks again thanks, thanks for, for having us, us man bye everybody